The format for this meeting is as follows. Three speakers will share for 15 minutes each. Then the Ask a Basket will be circulated for a 15-minute question and answer session. We will then have open sharing as time allows. Once again, the topic of this workshop is abstinence, let me count the ways, keys to freedom. Our first speaker will be Anita, our second speaker will be Jerry, and our third speaker will be Gail, unless they'd like to change that. <laughs> I don't know that they were asked. Uh, each speaker shares for maximum 15 minutes. After the last speaker has finished, uh, they'll respond to their questions for 15 minutes. And um, I now turn it over to you. Hi, I'm Anita, recovering overeater. I'm so, I, I guess I am nervous. Jerry and I were talking about whether we're nervous, and I suddenly couldn't remember what I am. Oh, yeah, overeater. Um, when Nikki said Anita will be first, if that's okay, unless you want to do something else, I thought, well, I'd like to go to Tucson. <laughs> but if I were to give a topic today along with abstinence, it would be gravel and seduction. And I'll show you what I mean in a minute. Um, first of all, a little of my story. One of the things I'm most grateful to OA for is doing the food history. And uh, you know from doing your steps, it's one of the first things you do. That alone would have been worth it because I looked back and discovered uh, Don Jose's. Those of you that grew up in San Diego, you'll remember it on El Cajon Boulevard. I see a little heads nodding. Um, I had a very happy childhood. My life kind of revolved around my dad. I thought he made the sun come up and go down. And uh, then when I was 12, he died without any warning. My mom kind of went off the deep end, I think it's fair to say. She was working very hard, and when she wasn't working, she, wasn't, she just couldn't be present. And she'd come home and go in her room and shut the door. It was an extremely agonizing life for me and I often did not want to live looking back I think what saved me well we know the answer don't we I can even remember almost consciously thinking maybe I should drink like those other girls or I should smoke or I should be promiscuous like they are and then I thought nah, you know I don't want to go there but food oh yeah you go to Don Jose's and when we went there, it was warm there, and they smiled. They were happy to see you. And they put a big, huge plate of food full of salt and grease and filling. Um, you couldn't think about anything else. It was like heaven. And the very little comfort I got at home, I have to say, is food-related. Uh, when my mom, my mom would make me dinner, and that was kind of pretty much all that happened there. And getting a nice plate of food was a big deal. And then I was on my own again. So it's not hard to understand. When I hit college, I knew I was in a bad relationship. I knew I should get out of it. But I felt like I didn't have anything else behind me. And I stuck to it. And I gained a really quick 20, 25 pounds sophomore year uh, going to the cafeteria where you could go back and go back and get more love and more love. So I fought my weight all those ways that all of us know. Janie Craig, Weight Watchers, you name it. And what brought me to OA, what finally brought me the first time to OA, and was realizing I did one week on Jenny Craig, then one week, because it didn't work, then I bounced over to Weight Watchers one week. That didn't work, so I bounced back to Jenny Craig, and I thought, this is crazy. This is really crazy. And I got a little book right over here at Barnes & Noble. It's called something like, I don't know what it was. I 
won't say because it's not OA literature. But that lady, she's an OAer, that author. Because on one of the chapters, she said, here's a little description. If you can't stop when you get to food, put this book down and go to the phone book and look up Overeaters Anonymous and call them up and get to a meeting. And that's how I got to the OA meeting at the Oasis. However, when I got there, it was full of weird shit people. And I looked around, I went to a meeting or two, and I thought, God, these people really have problems. I'm not like them. I don't belong here. Ick. So I went away. And then I knew that there was the CH food up in the closet. And a day came when I was home alone, and after lunch I thought, eh, what's the big deal? You know, go have some after lunch. You know what CH food I'm talking about, right? I don't name it because to name it sometimes sets some people off. That's why I didn't name it. So anyway, I had some. No big deal. Five minutes later, I'm back to have more. Okay, twice. Who cares, right? Next time, I'm back to have more. Five minutes later. And walking to the closet that third time, I had that moment where you say, you know, I can't stop. I am out of control. I cannot not go to the closet. It was so humbling. So I was brought to my knees right there by that food up in the closet. And I went right back to OA, and I was ready. I said, please help me. Show me what to do. Uh, I'm ready to learn. I'm ready to change. And I got a sponsor. I, had to, I made a couple changes of sponsors until something really felt like a fit. I have a sponsor who's wonderful, a lot of experience uh, in recovery programs, and very wise. She's been great. So what does that have to do with gravel? What we try to do, and after I finish my 12 steps, was stay on the road. I'm holding on to this because I'm scared. <laughs> we try to stay on that road, and we try to keep our abstinence. As you know, we choose an abstinence in a way. Mine is three meals and a snack, the snack if I need it. There were a few times when I felt I was sliding off the road into the gravel on the shoulder. Uh, I remember a picnic type thing where somebody brought a kind of dip that's like nirvana to me. And I'm sitting there and I'm beginning to have the rush. You know about the rush where you feel it coming up from inside and you're in it. It's sort of like going down a water slide of emotion and boom, you're going. And you're not stopping and there's no way to grab something to stop. And I got up and went away. But I was so scared by it, and I talked to my sponsor. I said, was that a break in abstinence? I was starting to feel it, you know, and she said, it's between you and yourself. You, you decide. And so I thought it over. I decided, no, it wasn't because I stopped. Um, I did not go crazy out of control, but it was a close call. Now, there's seduction involved here. Seduction is when something grabs you and you don't see it coming, but you go with it. One of the seductions was a wonderful dessert. I, being a kind and helpful person, said, oh, I'll take the desserts into the kitchen. I'll clear the table for all of you. Of course, we know what that means. We are alone in the kitchen with the dessert. And it's, I'm standing there in front of the counter. There's the leftover dessert. And I knew what's about to happen. And I said, last ditch. I said, okay, God, I can really use some help right here. And boom, the desire for that dessert simply evaporated. That's not me. That's the higher power right there. Another time, 
close call, and I want to tell you about my close calls because I feel so imperfect. You know, I'm not up here being a perfect example of anything. Uh, I don't know what brought it on, but I was having a candy bar. Get out of the way, world. I'm having it. I got a $5 bill in one hand. I got my house key in the other, and I am walking to the liquor store, and I am having that candy bar. I was on the road, and I thought it was water slide time, and I said, what can I do? What's one thing I can do right here? Call your sponsor. And I said to myself, you can have that candy bar, but as long as you call your sponsor first. Called her up. She's not there. But I left her a message, and I said, here's where I am. Car, house key in one hand, $5 bill in the other. I'm on my way. I'm going to go get that candy bar and get out of my way, everybody. And just telling that to her on her voicemail machine, it was the end of it. That's, again, higher power magic. And I was able to put the stuff away and say, okay, I don't need it. And I'm not, I had lost the desire for it. So I consider those, for me, the sign of the higher power at work. Um, whenever something comes in, we could call it grace, into our life, where we get more than we could go get for ourselves, that's grace. And that's what happens through OA. Um, I already did believe in a higher power, believe in God when I came in to OA, but not the way I do now. I didn't see it in operation. You have to feel it. You have to every day live it. I still struggle. Just came back from a vacation. Didn't eat the way I would have ideally liked to, but I did keep my abstinence. When I used to have a horse, we used to say, you can contain a horse best in a big corral. What that has to do with abstinence is, if you're, and I only say this for myself, you may be different. If I said to myself, my abstinence is, I will never again eat sugar, I will never again eat processed flour, I will have three meals, I will never have a snack, um, I will never eat sour cream, etc., etc. You know what happened? I would go down in flames really fast. So, for me, speaking just for myself, I plan my success by trying to make an abstinence that's easy enough, that I think I can do it, that, that it's not impossible. Anything that demands perfection designs in failure, in my opinion. And when I used to be a teacher, we had a sign in front of the room that said, perfection, and it was crossed out, and underneath it said, excellence. That's our goal, to do well. Um, one of the things I, I want to mention here, I'm scared of all of you. I don't know if you feel that, but I'm scared of every one of you, and yet when I look at you one by one, I see what nice people you are. So it's just my fear. And that fear fuels my eating dysfunction. Because when I'm scared, if I go to a party or any other social event, I can hardly wait to get my hands on whatever is edible. And I, that sounds so much like an alcoholic from alcoholics I've known, they said, I always know exactly where the alcohol is. Well, when I go to a party, I don't know about you, I know right where the food is and I know what it is. I've scoped it out. It's almost more interesting than the people. And that's embarrassing, you know? <laughs> it's kind of disgusting because I love people, but when I say to myself, when you go to that party, don't eat anything. Just eat ahead of time and don't eat when you get there. And my immediate thought is, well, why would I want to go? <laughs> And that's, that's terrible, you know, that's really embarrassing to look at in yourself. So, um, let me see. 
I have two minutes left, and I'm trying to think what else is useful. Sponsoring is really wonderful. I don't know how, how many of you are sponsors already. Wow, lots of sponsors. Uh, I did not understand before I became a sponsor why they kept saying it helps me as much as it helps you. I thought, what's that? You know, they're they're busy helping these poor little sponsees trying to find their way, but what's it going to do for them? Well, for one thing, it's a little um, I don't want to say shaming, but you don't want to you don't want to fail in front of your sponsees because then, for one thing, you lose that nice connection with them. You can't sponsor them anymore if you really fail. And it keeps you just a little more on the dime than it would if you didn't have sponsees. It also breaks your heart. Without naming names, you know, I've, I've seen situations where sponsees crashed and went all the way back to throwing up their food, all the way back to binging. It's just, it, it's heartbreaking. But I have a little book called The Sweet Flypaper of Life. It was a gorgeous book shot in Harlem about 40 years ago about a little old lady who helps different people, and it makes her life a little more stressful. She helps kids whose moms are busy at work. She helps take care of them. She does all this stuff. And her neighbor says, what's the matter with you? You're old. You've got arthritis. This is too much for you. She says, I like being stuck to the sweet flypaper of life. So... Part of being an OA is you are stuck to the sweet flypaper of life. We're all in this together. We're all helping each other. So it's a wonderful fellowship. Thank you. Hi, my name is Jerry, and I'm a compulsive overeater. And um, I guess I'll start with my history, what, um, what it has to do with my abstinence. My history is that before I was born, God, I had this vision of God the other day, saying this one is going to be a compulsive overeater. And she is always going to be a compulsive overeater. She's never going to be cured. And she, it may be her destruction, or it may also be her salvation. And that's exactly what my life has been about. The first half of my life, my food was my destruction. Once I came into the program, it has been my salvation. Um, I was on a diet since I was six months old. I was non-fat milk. And uh, when I was nine years old, my mother took me to the doctor to uh, put me on diet pills. Well, she didn't do it. The doctor put me on diet pills. So I took diet pills from the time I was nine to the time I was 29. As you can see, they didn't work. There was one thing in my life which was really a matter of life and death for me, uh, which shows me the importance of abstinence, and that is when I was pregnant, I got toxemia. I, I don't know how much weight I gained. I went up to 180 pounds. I'm four foot ten, and 180 pounds was a lot. I had toxemia. I had to stay in bed for the last two or three months of my pregnancy. I couldn't do, I wasn't supposed to eat anything but this one stupid old salad, and, um, I was miserable. I was miserable because it was like I had to lay down and I couldn't eat. And I just remember that feeling like I was encaged and that I still couldn't eat. But I did. And I, this was a baby that I wanted. And um, I just remember, you know, it, it was, I had to eat. And I don't know what I ate, something that wasn't, that I'm not supposed, that I'm not supposed to mention. Um, and then I worried about it. And I, and I thought, oh, my God, the doctors. And I started going to um, 
uh, a diet doctor and the regular obstetrician. And I was afraid I was going to get fired by the obstetrician because I had gained weight. And I don't know if I did or not. But anyway, it was, it was terror and hell. Right before the baby was due, I didn't feel her kick. And uh, I remember laying on that bed and thinking, oh, my God, if anything happens to this baby, it's my fault. It's my fault. Um, and um, I told the doctor I hadn't felt her kick. Uh, they put me, they, they, they tried to induce labor, <coughs> and it didn't work. And uh, they had to do a C-section. During that C-section, um, um, I felt it. I felt, the, um, I felt it because it didn't take, because I was too fat. There was too much fluid in my spinal system, and they couldn't find it, so I felt that, that surgery. And that was due to my compulsive overeating. When the baby was born, she weighed only 4 pounds, 11 ounces, because she had, they, they, she had already started to lose weight. And if they wouldn't have taken her from me when they did, she would have died. She just informed me she's going to be 38 next month. Um, and uh, so she's fine. So God takes care of drunks and uh, babies of compulsive overeaters, too. Um, so um, that, to me, shows me the seriousness of this disease and how, yes, the alcoholic can kill because of his disease. So can we. This is a serious disease, and it is a matter of life and death, without exception. Um, then um, when I uh, came into program, this was freedom. I saw people there that uh, they gave me hope. And um, what abstinence has given me, it has given me a key to a relationship with God. Uh, it's a personal relationship. I was, grew up a devout Catholic, and it was their God, what they told me God was about, what, um, what kind of God that was when I came in here. I could find a God of my understanding, and my understanding of God has changed. He started out as everybody else, as it seems like, um, that man in the sky with a long beard. Uh, then he changed into E.T., and um, today my God is probably my cat. Um, he rules he rules my life um, but what abstinence has given me is a personal relationship with God I used to listen to this program on the radio and um, it was about he used to come out at 5 o'clock in the morning I used to get up on Sunday mornings to listen to it and um, it was about music from all over the world and this one was about food in different cultures and in most religions that I know of there's always a discipline with food the, the Jewish religion has a certain discipline with food. Uh, when I was Catholic, we couldn't eat fish on Friday. But there's a discipline with food. And it seems like that's the way that people find a relationship to God. Not just in here, but in other religions, too. Um, and so, to me, abstinence has given me a relationship with God. For whatever reason, it clears up the road. But it's given me a personal relationship with the God of my understanding. And when I think of people, come, people with, you know, the certain kinds of gods, and you have to believe in them, I get to have a God that works for me, a God that has, you know, let me stay on some kind of a food plan for more than three days. Before, I could not stay on any kind of a, of a diet, you know, for three days, because I, I'd be taking diet pills, and no matter what, in three days, I'd be eating junk, and I was off the diet. And when I came here, and I stayed on a diet... For more than three days, that's when I knew there was a God. That's when I knew that God was working in my life.
So that's how I know there's a God. Uh, I don't have to believe it. I don't have to have someone else's uh, belief in God. I can have my own because I can stay on some kind of a food plan for over three days. And now it's, what, 31 years, you know. So I, I know that there's a God because of my abstinence. And it's given me a relationship with God. My abstinence has unlocked the door to a, rela- a personal relationship to God. It has always given, it, is, it has also given me um, the key to accepting myself. Myself as a compulsive overeater. I'm not a freak anymore. And, uh, but I am a compulsive overeater and I'm not alone. And I couldn't accept myself for, I didn't know I was a compulsive overeater when I first came in. I just knew that, um, that cereal. Whatever it was, I couldn't stop eating. And I would see other people uh, continue and continue. And, and I would see other people, they could have a little bit. And I couldn't. There was something wrong with me. There, and there was. But I didn't know it. I just thought that I had a weight problem. And other people didn't. But, you know, I don't know, I don't know where part of my brain was. I didn't see the connection between what I ate and what I looked like. All I saw was, I don't know why I have this problem. I have this, you know, wonderful life. But when I came in here, I saw what I was, and it felt good because I didn't know what the words compulsive overeater, well, overeater, I guess I could imagine what that meant, but compulsive, I didn't know what it meant. (laughs) Um, And I had always thought of myself, and I used to belong to Tops, and I used to think of myself as a kicking pig because I couldn't stop picking, and that's exactly what I thought I was, a picking pig. So the word compulsive sounded educated to me. So I said, well, that sounds good. So um, it was never, um, I, I don't, cons- and I still, I consider it an honor to be a compulsive overeater in this program. It's an honor. Um, and it's an honor to belong to Overeaters Anonymous. But anyway, uh, back to accepting myself. And uh, my food plan, uh, I respect God with my food plan. I respect God by abstaining. I really believe that this is God's will for me. Because I couldn't do the things in my life that I get to do um, if I didn't respect God. So I respect my abstinence. Uh, And abstinence has given me good health. I get to do a lot of good physical things that I could only dream of before. Because uh, I get to eat healthy. And I'm so grateful that, you know, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not a lot of other things that other people are. I'm a compulsive overeater. So I have to eat healthy, you know, pretty healthy. I still drink coffee, but that's okay. Um, but, I, you know, God has given me a key to good health because my abstinence is pretty healthy. So I get to be healthy. So um, I had this, uh, when I turned 61 last year, I got to hear my, I, I, had a, I have a stethoscope, and I know I've talked about this. But when I was in high school, I had to take adaptive gym because I had tachycardia, and I couldn't exercise like other people. And I was a weirdo that way, too. And so uh, now I'm healthy, so I, have, I teach, and I teach now, too. And um, I have um, a stethoscope, and at night, when I, the day I turned 61, I put it at my heart. And, you know, it was a spiritual experience. Because I got to hear my heart, and um, it beats. Wow. I didn't. I mean, it was just so neat to hear my heart beating. Thank you, God. Thank you that I'm alive. I'm a real person, you know. And um, um, like I say, I had a bad heart when I was in high school, and now I'm pretty healthy. You know, I get to do a lot of things. So uh, the abstinence has given me my health. 
It's given me an acceptance for myself. It's given me a relationship with God. And it's also relieved me from the pain and suffering of compulsive overeating. I don't have to be on a diet anymore. I, my food plan tastes good and it feels good. Oh, I don't know who the timer is. Oh, okay, okay. Um, it has relieved me of the suffering that comes with this disease. The dieting, I remember how miserable I was as a kid watching other people eat. And I couldn't because I was supposedly on a diet till you know, who knows when, till Monday. Um, but I don't have to live that way anymore. And it's miserable to be on a diet. And yeah, I follow a strict food plan, but I'm not dieting. My abstinence tastes good. There's something in the fourth day that says abstinence. Nothing tastes as good as abstinence feels. And that's exactly right, because abstinence feels good. Um, my abstinence um, consists of three ways to measure food, uh, uh, meals a day with nothing in between except a lot of coffee um, and water uh, and sodas. Um, but it's still weighed and measured. 31 and a half years later, it's still weighed and measured because that's what works, and I, I don't want to change. Um, you know, it works. So that's the way. I, that's one day at a time. That's what I. That's what I do. Um, I. You know, I still am what I am. Uh, I'm still a compulsive overeater, and I am always going to be a compulsive overeater. I went to dinner with my girlfriend, and I had a salad. And this is the second time this has happened. Though the wait, the waitress will come around and she'll say, "Are you still working on that?" And um, working, I'm not working at my food. I mean, I really, it really makes me very angry um, because I don't work at it. I enjoy it, and don't put it and don't make it into some kind of a job. You know, eating is not a job. It is one of the pleasures of my life. My abstinent food is a pleasure of my life. So um, I'll say, no, I'm eating it. And um, there was one time, and I have, you know, these big salads, and I eat them all. I don't know. I guess other people don't finish their salads. Well, I do. And there was one waitress that came around three times. She goes, are you still, are you, she goes, we'll have to give you the price. Because I don't think we've ever had anybody that finished a salad. And I thought, well, then give me the prize because I'm going to finish this salad and I'm going to finish it to the last leaf, you know, um, because I never ate salads before and now that's, that's just part of it. I like them. Um, so anyway, I still am what I am. And uh, no matter how long I abstain, no matter what, when God made that, made my mold, he said she's going to get compulsive over here and the thread of her life is going to be food. And... Um, um, there's one thing I read, uh, Emerson is my favorite writer or essayist or poet or whatever he is, uh, and he um, wrote, don't ever fool with trifles. And that's what I consider about don't ever fool around with that first bite. Because that's something that I don't want to take. I used to hear this a lot when I first came in. They used to say, don't take that first bite. You may never get it back. And so I was scared. And so I didn't want to take that first bite. Yes, I was saying, a lot of times, I was scared. Because I believed what they said. And I'm very grateful that I did. And like I say, abstinence has given me the key to a relationship with God, to accepting myself, and it has relieved the pain and suffering of ever dieting again. 
I've lost, um, I don't know, I think 50 pounds. And like I say, I've been abstaining for over 31 years. And I'm very grateful that my name is Jerry and I'm a compulsive overeater. Thank you. I think I should take my glasses off so then I can't see anyone. <laughs> Good morning. My name is Gail. I'm a compulsive overeater and I'm a, and a recovered bulimic. Um, my story is probably similar to a lot of people who have bulimia. I grew up in a, as today's terms, is in a dysfunctional family. I didn't know it was that at the time. I thought all families functioned the same way. Um, my dad was physically abusive towards me. My mom was a savior. Um, my mom's way of treating everyone was with food. And, you know, if anything, I can still remember going into the house and she'd be making something and saying, do you want to, do you want the batter? And I'd say, oh, yeah. And it was so, I mean, that became a big deal to me all through my life as far as um, cooking went. Um, the other thing is that by the time I got to be 11, I think I was in maybe fifth grade, I developed, started to develop. And um, I was as tall as I am now. And I started getting a little pot belly. And of course, I started growing um, breasts. And I went to a Catholic school. And the nuns were very, very strict about how you looked. And they would say to me, don't wear sweaters. You know. And and it was really kind of scary to me because I went home and I said to my mom, you know, look, look what's happening to me. So my mom went in one of her drawers and gave me one of her old bras. And, of course, it didn't even fit. So, you know, I'd go to school and I, my posture became really very, very poor because I would stand kind of round-shouldered so no one could see that I was growing. Um, I started to eat a lot. Uh, and my mom would say, don't eat too much because you're going to get fat. And there's nothing, you need to be thin all your life if you're ever going to get a man. <laughs> so anyway, I uh, went through that. And then by the time I was 13, I, you know, I was pretty much the same size I am now. But I started to feel that I was very heavy. Um, and my mom kept saying to me, why don't you just use a little willpower? Here, would you like some seconds? And so, you know, and I felt that I was a champion eater. And um, my, because we went back and forth to school every day, I used to have to kids over for lunch. And my mom, when my mom would always prepare this wonderful meal, and I would have seconds. And he was still on there first. And my mom would be smiling. And then the next thing she'd say, use a little willpower. Now, I didn't realize it at the time. And it took me until I came into OA to realize my mom had some very anorexic tendencies. My mom would have a tiny little portion on her plate and say, look at me, how much, how little I can eat. And so this was my, my demand for going up. By the time I was 13, I think I was either in my first year of high school or in eighth grade, I came home one day absolutely ravenous. And I went into the cupboard, and I looked up there, and there was a can of something that I'm not even going to mention. And I ate the whole can. And then, because there were two, and I knew my mom used to buy things on sale, I just said, I've got to get rid of that because she's going to know that I took it. The other way, she probably wouldn't realize that she didn't buy any. 
So I ate the whole thing. And I wasn't feeling very well. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, what have I done? And I went into the bathroom and threw it up. And just like that, like the light bulb, you know, that you see in cartoons, came on and thought, oh, my God, this is what I can do for the rest of my life. I can eat. I never have to diet again. And I can just get rid of my food. And there began my journey into hell. And I have to honestly say that. Um, I went through 39 years of bulimic um, vomiting, um, almost after every meal. And it got to be more and more and more. The only time I didn't do it was when I was pregnant. Um, the, and speaking of pregnancy, and Jerry mentioned hers, I was restricting my food during my pregnancy because I was feeling very, very bad. And I would go to the doctor, and we were, my husband was in the Navy, and the doctor, we were in Pensacola, Florida, I'll never forget it. The doctor was a little short fellow, not much taller than I. And I would hear him yelling at the, pre, the women in the um, examining room because they had gained too much weight. And I have to tell you, I starved myself for two days before I'd go in so I wouldn't gain weight. And I'd go in there and he'd say, oh, I wish all my patients could be like you. And I thought, hmm. And I'd get outside. And I would stuff my face, and I couldn't stop eating. And as I said, this went on. I gained 19 pounds with my first pregnancy, and um, within a week, I was down to 101. And I feel very bad because, to this day because I was trying to nurse. And what kind of milk was I drinking? I was drinking fat-free milk. So I was not very successful. Um, so I think back on that, and, it, you know, it just really upsets me because I always think that, this, you know, my, my daughter had some problems because of my behavior. But anyway, I went on, and I always stayed slim. slim. And I wanted to say also that I remember when I was dating, boys used to like to take me out for dinner because I could put away the whole meal. And they used to say, wow, you know, not a waste of time or money. <laughs> so, you know, and then I'd be in the bathroom throwing it up. So anyway... And I thought, and I have to tell you this, I thought I was the only person in the world that knew this big, big secret. And I was not going to share it with anyone, believe me, because this was my secret. And I went on diet. I went on every diet possible because I knew it was starting to be a problem, but I couldn't quite get a handle on it. Um, I went on the Cambridge diet. I went on Weight Watchers. And I went on, uh, I, you know, just name it. Every diet that was on there, I went on. And it lasted, like everybody else's, maybe two or three days because then I'd start in all over again. I went, even went into a doctor, and I have to tell you, at that time I weighed 115. Um, I went into a doctor and said, I want to have those treatments, you know, where they give you the shots, because I really need to lose weight. And he said to me, you're not really overweight. I said, but I really do need to lose weight. And he'd give me the shots. And he was supposed to eat an apple after that. That lasted. But anyway, the best part of the whole thing was before you started taking this treatment, you could go and have two days of absolute, the highest carbohydrates and the highest fat you could possibly imagine. Well, did I have fun? I probably gained three pounds at that time, but I don't know. Well, anyway, the shots did not last. I went in for the shots, but I was eating and eating and eating. I couldn't stop. I really could not stop eating. So, anyway, through my, through my life, um, we traveled around a lot and came back to San Diego. My husband was deployed, and my daughter was going on 13 and being a teenager, a preteen, getting into a lot of trouble, got into drugs and alcohol, and I could not imagine, you know, why, why would she do this? And she was also overweight. Um, she was very, very unhappy. 
So um, we ended up putting her in treatment, and part of the treatment, they made you tell a secret. And I told my family at that time that I was a bulimic. And they almost, it was like the light bulb went off in their head because they looked at me and they, they were just absolutely shocked. And then they put two and two together, my frequent trips to the bathroom after every, after every meal practically, and how I could eat so much. So after that, it was really kind of interesting because I was eating more than I was taking, throwing up. And I went up to 148 pounds. I have pictures and I think to myself, oh my God. How did that happen? I was so scared by that time. I went to see a psychologist myself, and she said to me, um, how are you doing this week? And we were going through all this stuff. And I said, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. I haven't thrown up at all. What a lie. I mean, I used to lie. I, I, my, my life was one big lie. So then uh, she said to me, I'd like you to go to OA. And I thought, I'm not going to OA. That's just for heavy people, not for me, you know. And I just I went on and on. Finally, when my daughter got out of treatment, she said to me, Mom, there's a really wonderful program I understand. It's called Overeaters Anonymous, and I'd really like you to go. And so I, I went. I came to Overeaters Anonymous, and at my first meeting, they said, <laughs> the last person to speak, I can still hear him saying, does anyone have a burning desire? And I jumped up, ran up to the, the speaker, and I announced that I was a compulsive overeater and a bulimic. And... I, it was such a freeing experience for me. And if you know in the promises, it says you'll know a new freedom. That was the last time I ever threw up. And to me, that was one of the greatest miracles that has ever happened. Um, now, as far as the compulsive overeating goes, that's very difficult. I got a sponsor after about six weeks in L.A., and she, she was very strict with me. I had to call in my food every day, which was a good thing for me because I had no discipline whatsoever. I called in my food, but it was, it was pretty much like a, a diet. But I did it for three weeks, and then I went out on a boat trip. And she said, what are you going to have for your lunch? And I said, oh, I'm just going to, you know, eat what's there. I'll be okay. I'll be okay. And they passed around a big dip. And my husband realized at that time, after seeing me, the dip was on my lap, and here was my hand. It was like a mechanical hand. I could not stop. I mean, I just kept eating and eating and eating and eating and eating and eating. And then, of course, you know what jumped into my head was, I've got to get rid of this. Well, where am I going to get rid of it? There's no place on a boat to do this, and I'm not, certainly not going to do it over the side. I can pretend to be seasick. So anyway, but I didn't do it. I came home, called my sponsor. I was just absolutely devastated. Started again the very next day, and I started doing the steps. Um, I did the steps with her. I've done them several times since then, and every time something comes up. So anyway, um, my abstinence has changed over the years. I was abstinent for two years, lost it, uh, got right back on again, was abstinent for almost 15 years, and for someone who needs to listen to their inner voice, I was sitting there one night with a, a a bowl of, of very favorite thing on my lap, which saying, I'm only going to have five. And I started in, one after another, one after another. And I finished the whole bowl. Called my sponsor, and she said, I said, I think I broke my abstinence. She said, did you stop? I said, yes, I did. She said, well, maybe we just consider it a slip. But I knew in my heart of hearts that it was a break in my abstinence. Okay. And then, um, so this time I've been abstinent three years. So I've been in OA 20 years. And um, and I have to say that 
this program is the most wonderful thing that's ever happened to me as far as, as food and life goes because I don't know where I would be this day. Um, I've had many, many digestive disorders because of this. My teeth were in horrible shape. I have spent thousands and thousands of dollars on my teeth. Um, and I know to look at me, you would not think I came this way. But anyway, but this is, this is me. But for the last 20 years, I have to honestly say, I have not been on an emotional merry-go-round like I was before. I used to cry at everything. I'd go to church, I would cry, and I didn't know why. So I had a lot of work to do, and I've been doing it. I'm a work in progress. Uh, sometimes things still come up. This morning, when I was running late, I had to do one more thing, and so um, that's one of my shortcomings. But anyway, as I said, my abstinence is good. It, I'm very easy with it. it. I don't ban any foods except the one food I know that can get me in trouble. And so I don't ban any food, and, um, and I, too, eat three meals a day, but I also have two snacks if I need them or if I want them. And as I said, I listen to my inner voice, and my inner voice is right up there because I know exactly what to do. So thank you very much. Hi again. How long have you been in program? Uh, a little over three and a half years after I came back, and my abstinence is three and a half years. Thank you, God. Uh, weight loss. I'm thinking of my highest weight. My overall weight loss would be probably about 30 pounds, and uh, I did follow a food plan very strictly, and it's not an official OA plan, so I'm not going to name it, but it is extremely related to the OA program. A lot of OAers have used it, um, so if you're real curious, you can ask me later. Uh, but what it entails basically is weighing and measuring all your food and following a strict program, uh, like a protocol. It's, uh, you know, for example, four ounces of protein for breakfast and so many ounces of fruit and so many ounces of a, a carb type thing, a grain. And uh, I followed that. I typed it up every morning for the following day and committed it to a food sponsor. Um, and I, I just eliminating sugar and processed flour made the weight absolutely fall off me. That's only me, not necessarily anybody else. And somebody in our meeting had said that, and I heard her say that for years, and it never came through to me. And then finally, yeah, that, I had the same experience. So that's it. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Jerry, how do you weigh and measure when you eat out? I'm thinking oh, the same thing. Oh, yeah. oh I'm sorry. I, I, you know, I guess I lied. Uh, but, no, I don't weigh and measure when I go out. So just at home, okay? And sometimes I go out to eat a lot. <laughs> okay. Um, Gail, I've been bulimic for 15 years, and my current abstinence is no binging and purging. However, this still leaves room for overeating. But I'm afraid that if I... Add to my abstinence, I will feel restricted and binge. I'm not currently losing weight, but I don't want to go back to bulimia. Do you have any suggestions? 
Well, in the beginning, mine was also no binging and purging. And as I said, I went on a meal plan for a couple of years. And then a wonderful person in L.A. who runs another program said, find something that you can live with. I have followed a plan. I have protein. I have some fat. I have carbohydrates. I have fruit. And I have not been able to give up sugar. I use the substance, the substitute sugar. However, I feel that in the beginning, when you're bulimic, you really need to write your food and write a plan, something that you think that you can live with. And, you know, plans change. But if you write your food down, for me, writing my food is such a major commitment. I'm calling it in because I don't want to call my sponsor and say, oh, I screwed up. And so, I mean, it's kind of militaristic at first, but then your body gets used to it. And for me, this is how I have done this. And if the person wants to talk with me after this, I will talk to them recently. My current weight is 117.8, who's counting? And within the last year, I had gained 13 pounds just because of my age. I'm going to be, God forbid, 70 in October. And, you know, you can't eat the way you did when you were 20 or 30 or 40 or 50. I mean, that changes a lot. So I have done a program. I will tell you about it afterwards if you'd like to know. And it's helped me to keep my weight off. And I always feel full. And I don't feel like I'm dieting. Thank you. Anita, how do you keep abstinent when at parties or eating out? That's a tough one. My abstinence itself doesn't designate what I'm eating. I wanted to be sure people understood that. My abstinence is three meals and a snack and no out-of-control binging. And it doesn't say anything about what I'm eating other than I'm not being excessive about whatever it is. So, you know, eating out, I probably normally eat something normal. Now, when I was, quote, when I was on that food plan, I mean, that was a boot camp completely. And I went to like a fancy dinner dance with my husband's work and called the hotel ahead, said, here's what I need for my meal. Can you do this? And they they were pretty good about it. And I tipped them extra for doing it. But I did a lot of very tough things on that food plan. It's not for sissies, I have to say. It's only a compulsive eater would ever go through what I went through to stay on that. So that's I don't know if that answers your question. I pray before I go to a party about the food. Um, I try to eat a salad before I go, and that's been helpful. I try to get a non-caffeinated drink once I'm there and be drinking that. Um, the, the big thing is don't go hungry. Don't go there hungry, uh, and don't go there tired. So that's, those are things that help me. Thank you. Okay, Jerry, I'm confused about abstinence. Who hasn't been? Uh, what is it? Is it personal for everyone? Can you make can you slip, make mistakes, start back up again, and still be considered abstinent? 
I think those are all questions that's a personal thing. Everybody has their own personal abstinence. Everybody's food plan is different. I came in from the old school where it was three weight and measured and no bread and all that kind of stuff, so I just continued. But OA has changed, and there's all kinds of different food plans. So I think whatever is between you and your sponsor and God, because I can't make up my own sponsor, my own um, food plan. I have to go with a sponsor. Um, and uh, all those other questions, whether you break your abstinence or whether you flip, I still think that that's a personal thing between you and God. And, you know, no one can tell, tell you that you're abstinent or you're not. That's something that's, be, that's in your heart. Gail said that. In your heart, you know what you're doing. So that's, that's what I think about that question. I think uh, to, to allow everybody to get their questions, we'll just hold the applause and, um, so we can get more questions in. Gail, thanks for your share. How do you define your abstinence, being a restrictor and bulimic? Did smaller meals help you feel so full and prone to having the desire to purge? Oh, the Actually, um, if I eat too much, uh, and I know I've eaten too much, then I think about purging. It just kind of filters through. But to me, purging was a tool. And the tool stopped working. It was like it was broken. It was like a shovel, broken handle. And to me, that's what my that's what purging was to me. And, I, and it took me a long time to figure that out. Um, why would I have gained all that weight? That was about close to 30, more than that, 35 pounds that I gained and didn't even know it. And, and I was eating so much because I couldn't stop that um, the purging no longer helped me. And... And I, I always thought I would probably go back to it. But, you know, as I said, this, it was a miracle for me that this was relieved. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me, so my meals, um, I eat practically the same thing every day. I have a bowl of oatmeal with a banana in it and, and sometimes cottage cheese in it. And that holds me over. Sometimes I'll have a fruit late in the morning, depending on what time I eat, have eaten. If I've gone to the gym and worked out particularly hard, and, I, and I'm not a... Gym, I'm not a person that goes to the gym to work out particularly hard. I go because I really need to, um, to keep me healthy. Um, my hardest time still, and I have to say this, is still in the evening. If I do not plan my meal in the evening, then it gives me the freedom to start, you know, putting a little of this and a little of that and a little of this. So I really have to plan my meals. Um, and then it's like, okay, when I'm doing this, I say, this is your cutoff. If you have one more of this thing, then you're losing your abstinence. And this I believe because this is my inner voice talking to me. Um, when I, 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 I'm sorry if I gave the impression that I was a restrictor. I'm really, I was not a restrictor. I restricted my meals, um, after I became abstinent, because I didn't really know how much to eat. I had no idea what, when someone would say a cup or whatever, you know, I had no idea that that was enough. Um, I, I want to tell you a funny story, and we talk about food, and I thought of it a couple of times this week. Um, ten years ago, I believe the convention was here, or at the Red Lion, and I came in here, and a person from OA said to me, let's go have dinner. I said, okay, because I'm starving. And we ate dinner here in the dining room, and, 
and he had his dinner, which was the same as mine, and I had my dinner, and he left half of his, and I, left, I ate all of mine, and all of a sudden I started in with my, oh my God, does he think I'm not abstinent? Oh my God, did I eat more than I should have? And so <laughs> I have to honestly say that if you plan a meal and you put down the amount that you're going to eat, it really does work because in your head, if you go over that amount, then you'll no longer be abstinent. So that's the only way for me sometimes to stay abstinent. And then every once in a while, as I said, I have to go back on weighing and measuring because, gee, it gets bigger and bigger. The cups get bigger. So I have to really watch it. So thank you. I hope that answers your question. I think we've answered this, but I'll read it so we make sure. What is your meal plan and what do you think of your abstinence to be? I think you answered it the last time, so, but you're not done. I've got another one for you. Uh, how do you use weight to assess whether you're staying abstinent? Well, that's an interesting question. I want to be sure I understand the question. How do you use weight to assess whether you're staying abstinent? I don't use weight much to assess that. Um, I use how I feel inside, that I'm not having that crazy rush about food and out of control. That's where it's about not the number on the scale. Um, I am interested in the number on the scale. I'm way too interested in it, and therefore I only weigh once a month on the 20th of each month. Um, when I was following that food plan, I did not weigh myself for six months. I took the scale and put it out in the backyard in the shed behind a bunch of boxes where it wasn't easy to get to. Um, one thing I discovered that was so interesting, this, I'm so glad you asked this. I asked God to help me find a way other than the scale to, to know that I was at a healthy weight for myself. And it came in the most amazing way I would never have predicted. Center of balance. I discovered when my weight was where it was normal and I could felt limber and strong, my balance was better. And when you stop and think about it, the doctor and a physical therapist both had said to me, your back is hurting because you've got fat on the front, on your abdomen, and it's pulling on your back. And so when I started to have this nice sort of like you step out of the tub and you, you feel very strong and balanced, you're not like reaching for a bar or something, I thought, what is that? And then I thought, yeah, I don't have the fat on the front, and therefore my, my center of balance is as it's meant to be, rather than the way it shouldn't be. So that's something that I've learned recently that's helpful. I threw it off a little bit on this trip. I gained a little weight, and I'm hoping to you know, change that. But that was an amazing thing I discovered, so I just share it in case it's useful. Okay, Jerry, how do you restrain from taking that first bite? I love that question. Thank you, whoever asked it. Um, I work the program. I um, get up every morning at um, 4 or 5, and uh, I um, meditate. I do the 11th step. I read. I uh, write. And that takes me about 45 to an hour, minutes. I go to two to three meetings a week. I uh, sponsor. I uh I write every night, um, and I um, read something every night. And to keep me from um, getting Alzheimer's, um, which I've done for many years, I read 
uh, paragraph from the big book every night or the 12 and 12. And I, I asked God to please help me today remember what I wrote. I mean, remember what I read. I don't know if this is making sense. Let me see if I can explain it. The next morning, so I can write about what I read the night before. And that's kind of like, you know, people say as you get older, you have to do these mind things. Well, when I get off, if I ever get, well, whatever, I don't even want to say if or when, but just in case, um, I want to always have that in my subconscious, what I am. I'm a compulsive reader, and I want to remember the big book. I want to remember the big book when I die. So I always make sure that I read that, and then the next morning I will write about what I read. Like last night, I remember. Um, it was about you will know a new freedom and a new happiness, and I just opened the book there. And um, you will not regret the past. And are these extravagant promises? We think not. And so that's what I do, to keep abstinent. I can't keep abstinent um, just because I walk in the doors or just because I go to meetings. I have to use all the tools. Gail, has abstinence relieved you from the mental obsession about weight and body image? And if so, how so? If not, how do you cope with it? And thanks so much. I wish I could say that abstinence has relieved me of this. Um, I weigh once a week. I weigh myself once a week. Uh, I tried it the OA way when they suggested you weigh once a month, and I got myself into some trouble. I always felt that I wish I could just, you know, feel my clothes and know if they were too tight that I'd gained a loss. I still have a major problem with body image. Um, I always feel that I have to look good. Um, my my <laughs> my great desire is to someday get up and go to the gym without putting eye makeup on. <laughs> but you know it's it, it you know but I have been relieved of this. I mean because before I just spent countless hours analyzing myself and looking in the mirror, wondering about this, and you know walking by a store and look to see if my butt looked too big. I mean, just unbelievable. Um, I have this thing, and I talk to my sponsor about it all the time, and I ask God to relieve me of this, that as I grow older, I remember saying once that I just want to be graceful. I just want to really look good. And I look at it, and I have to look, and I have to, and I have to tell you, I still look at the magazines that say, you know, you can do this to your body, and, and uh, you can have this surgery, and you'll look younger. And I'm thinking to myself, now, who the heck cares? I'm over, obviously, I told you I'm going to be, I'm going to be 70 in October. And, um, and my husband thinks I look good. And my kids think I look good. So, you know, it's just one of those things. And, and I have to believe it. Some days I know I look good. And, and, but other days, you know, that old body image keeps coming back. And I think that's something that comes from your childhood and it's something you just have. For me, it's something I live with um, every day. Not, not every day. But I'm not as obsessive about it as I used to be. Um, you know, I can go out and have a good time, and I go to the gym very frequently. I do yoga, I do Pilates, and then a lot of it is for my own health, really, because I certainly know I'm not going to look like a bodybuilder. And um, so, you know, I just need to really feel good. And I, I, one of the things I really neglected to say when I was talking is that I have the most wonderful family in the world, and because of this program, um, I was able to treat them differently, and and just recently, oh, I should say, I have a 
an 11-month-old grandson, and, and I go to visit them all the time. And my daughter said to me, oh, Mom, I'm so proud of you, the way you can get down on the floor and get up and play with him and do all these things. And I think to my, she said, you're such a good grandmom. She said, you must have been a wonderful mom. And I think to myself, oh, my God, I don't remember. And that is one of the things that came out of this. With the bulimia, I was so self-absorbed that um, I just did not remember so many things. And now I do, you know, and, and people have to remind me. So, you know, that's one of the things I'm still very happy to say that I love this program for and the people and my God. Thank you. Okay, all three speakers, this is a test of our memories. Uh, the question is, all three speakers, define your food plan and your abstinence and explain the difference. I think you've all done your abstinence. I think you've done your food plan, but I don't know if you said what the difference is. You think yay, nay? Okay. Okay. Audience, did they do it? You need it more? Okay. Okay. Anita, do all forms of sugar trigger you? What about fruit? Do you have a uh, physiological reaction or is the purpose of abstaining to lose weight? That's a wonderful question, and yeah, I can answer that specifically as soon as I have my glasses. Um, all form, do all forms of sugar trigger you? I absolutely know that white refined sugar triggers me by paying attention to what happens when I eat it. I eat a tiny bit, nothing happens. I eat a little more, and then suddenly I walk past something like a candy bar or uh you know, Danish or something, and it has this glow, you know. It's like, wow, look at that, you know, awesome. I want that. I'm drawn to it. It's that seduction we were talking about. Fresh fruit doesn't do it to me. Uh, and when I say I didn't eat sugar, I, I absolutely had fruit. Absolutely, yeah. And um, an interesting thing that happened when I dropped all sweeteners out of my diet, all, no honey, no artificial sweetener, uh, no agave juice, nothing. My taste buds changed, and I, I'm not there now, but it was pretty awesome for a while because even things I used to think were boring and not that good, like parsley, started to taste really good because your taste buds changed. So that was cool. Uh, do you have a physiological reaction, or are you just abstaining to lose weight? No, I have a physiological reaction. So when I say for me, it may not happen for you. I'm only speaking for me. Another thing I just want to mention briefly, and it's huge, and I, I don't know how it didn't get brought up sooner by me, is meditation is one of the primary things that has helped me succeed in this program. And I was sitting at the Oasis a while back. Uh, I've been meditating regularly twice a day for 10 years, and I also teach meditation. And I was sitting there looking at the 12 steps, because I know that one of them says, oh, it's thought through prayer or meditation to have closer contact with God. I'm sitting there, I'm going like, Oh, no, that's not what it says. It says sought through prayer and meditation. So it seems to me that the program encourages us to pray and meditate. And what meditation has done for me is simply made me less reactive. I am more calmer in my daily life. I never get as stressed and so on. And when you, when you feel that way, you um, have an easier time not getting upset over things. And when we don't get upset, we don't overeat. Thank you. Okay, Jerry. I've only been in OA six months. My, meeting, my eating plan is three meals a day with nothing in between. The idea of weighing and measuring is a major turnoff because it feels just like Weight Watchers, which I hated. For today, I am resisting weighing and measuring. Please comment. 
I remember that one. I was never going to do that. I know, like I say, the program has changed, and not everybody, I mean, not very many people weigh and measure for a while. But when I came in, this is what they told me to do, so that's what I did. And that was like the thing to do. So being that it's worked, I don't want to stop weighing and measuring. But I think, I mean, most of the people, I think, don't weigh and measure their food. Um, you know, I'm still, um, but I, you know, being that it worked, I'm going to continue, although not when I go out to eat. Um, and what was the last part of that question? Oh, for someone new, I mean, whatever works for you. Like I say, your abstinence is between you and God, um, but and your sponsor. Uh, but as far as the weighing and measuring, that's just something that I've kept because it worked. And I know some people pick it up as they go along, but, you know, whatever works for you. Did I answer the question? Okay. I've been good. I wanted to add something to every question, but this one I really feel I have to. I really said I was never going to weigh a measure because I thought that I could, could visualize. And one day I put some rice on a plate, and I was sure that I had a half a cup. And just for the heck of it, I measured it, and I had over two cups. <laughs> My eyes are broken. So I have found that certain foods I really do need to, to measure away, and others I don't. It's, it's Sometimes I found in the program, you know, everybody really needs to speak to their sponsor, but not everything has to be strict. There is moderation or something. Some people have to weigh and measure everything, and some people like you, when you go out, you don't need to. I know that when I put a cup of oatmeal in a measuring cup, I don't have enough to eat. And when I pour it into that bowl, all of a sudden it looks huge, and I can't. So I know that my eyes don't do, if that helps anybody. Okay, Jerry, do you eliminate certain addictive substances? Okay, we'll start again. Do you eliminate certain addictive substances, specifically sugar, flour, and wheat, from your food plan? Yes, I didn't mention that when I um, talked about, you know, yeah, I weigh and measure. But when I came in, it was a gray sheet, which is no bread, no tortillas, no white flour, um, no wheat. I don't eat bread, and I don't eat tortillas. Uh, my grains, the only grains that I have are rice and, um, oh, God, what's the other thing? Um, the cereal and... Um, I guess that's the only grain I have. Rice and, oh yeah, oatmeal and rice. Those are the grains. or some kind of cooked cereal. And those are the grains that I have. And um, actually, it's easy. I have oatmeal. I have fruit. I have, uh, for, for lunch, I have um, 16 ounces of any kind of fruit or vegetable and a protein. Uh, and, uh, for, uh, and I have half a protein because I'm short. Uh, that's the downfall of being short. Um, and then for dinner, I get to have another kind, any kind of fruit or vegetable and a protein. And then now I've incorporated uh, two ounces of avocado to that. So I hope that answers. That's what my food plan is. And I don't eat, I, I, I guess I am, I guess I do restrict or, you know, because that's what I did. Okay, this question is for all speakers. And I think you've kind of answered it, but if you want to ask it, what do you do when you feel the urge to eat? And I assume it's overeat or not when you're supposed to. Okay. I call my sponsor. Um, I ask God for help. The most common is to ask God for help because you can you can pull that out of your pocket anytime, wherever you are. If you don't have a phone or whatever, you just say, okay, God, I really could use some help here. And that works. Um, I try to make myself comfortable. Uh, I find often if I'm exhausted, that's when I'm vulnerable. So um, sometimes it helps to go take a hot shower and lie down for 10 minutes. Forget about it. So that's helpful. I call my sponsor, um, and um, I keep busy. Mainly I keep busy. You know, there's always something to do. You know, there's never time for a dull moment. So I call my sponsor, or I keep very, very busy. 
again, I listen to my heart, and if I'm really hungry, and I have to honestly say that because as I get older, my meals have gotten a lot smaller um, because of the fact that I just can't eat the amount of food that I used to. Um, if I know that it's going to be totally outside my food plan, then I will go drink a lot of some water. Um, I will either call my sponsor. I will go take a walk. I will just do something to divert myself because all you need is about 10 minutes and, um, you know, to kind of change that whole mindset. It's, sometimes it's very difficult. And if, as I said, sometimes, you know, I really have to watch it because if I'm not writing my food down, that particular day, you know, I think I can get away with something. And, and you know, and it's right there. I mean, it's my mindset. If I can get away with it, I'm going to do it. And so when I'm, you know, as I said, when I'm really in a bad place, I'm writing my food down. I know exactly where, I'm, where I stand. And as I said, most of the time, you know, I feel very fortunate because most of the time I don't get these awful urges. I used to. But I think maybe being in program so long and knowing and if I give in to the urge, it's going to be a break in my abstinence. And I don't want to go through that guilt. And, and you know, I think I was born guilty. It was just one of those things. But, you know, it, it, that's, that's, that's one of the – oh, <laughs> I was going to tell you something. I was thinking about when I told you about my grandson. I saw my daughter feeding my grandson, and it brought back such horrible memories to me. I, was, I remember when I was feeding my daughter, you know, out of the jar – I wonder how much I actually gave her because I was so busy eating it also. And I noticed her almost doing the same thing the other day. And I was feeding my grandson and I thought to myself, I wonder what this tastes like. I wonder if it tastes like it used to. And so, you know, but I just didn't do it. I mean, I didn't even lick the spoon because I don't want to set myself off. And, and I know, you know, I'm one bite away and that's it. And, um, you know, I have to re- respect for what I feel inside. So thank you. Don't forget that glass of water. Right. Always puts off food. Okay, this is directed to somebody, but I don't know who, so I guess you can all answer it. You talked about your inner voice. I know that's how I connect with my higher power, but I often have trouble connecting, remembering to connect. How do you connect or listen to your inner voice? For myself, I have to stockpile to do that. And what I mean by stockpiling is I've taken care of myself, I've exercised, I've gotten enough rest, I've read my little For Today book, which I read every morning when I wake up. I have a routine a lot similar to Jerry's uh, in that I wake up early, I meditate, and then I read a book on spirituality, and then I read my OA literature, then I do yoga. Uh, I'm 63. It's interesting to me that all of us up here are in our 60s. And, uh, you know, you, you have to take care of yourself with more intentionality as you get older. There's a lot of issues come up that you have to deal with. So I guess that's my answer. Um, I breathe. I breathe in God. That's what I do. Yeah. Um, I also breathe. I do the yoga breath. You know, and I breathe out, and I breathe in, and I say to myself, breathe in, breathe out, and I say, please, God, let this pass. And I say it sometimes a lot, sometimes not too often, but it always works. And right now I'm working on an issue. Something happened earlier this week, and I have not been able to get it out of my head, and, you know, I'm I'm working on it. I had to to actually do a first step on it this morning and start looking up some literature, and, um, you know, it works. It's better. It's better. So what else can you ask for? 
Thank you. Okay. Any questions from the floor? Okay, great. Uh, now we're going to have three minutes to share each. Please focus on the topic of abstinence. We have releases that you have to sign before you can speak. I'm going to put it at the end of that table, and if you'll just come around that way and, and uh, form a line. But before we do that, I would just like to say that uh, what helped me in the beginning is I went to a workshop on abstinence. And what I heard was that your abstinence should be easy and achievable, because otherwise we set ourselves up to fail. And our abstinence is what we don't do, and our meal plan is what we do do. And you set up an abstinence that you can stick to. Your meal plan can change. And there's a wonderful book on abstinence. And if you look in there, when they, the title of the workshop is Let Me Count the Ways, there is no one way to do it. That's why you have a sponsor. You talk to them because what works for me may not work for you. So please make it personal. Please make it easy and achievable because we all want success. Anyhow, if people would like to speak, because of being recorded, I don't know that we end early. Or maybe we can end early. Somebody like to share about their abstinence? Mana. I guess sign that after you speak. I trust them. Hello, my name is Fred. I'm a compulsive overeater. And uh, this is something that really works for me. And so I'm very happy to share it. Our uh, egg beaters. And I have, um, you all know what egg beaters are, I'm sure. The, the egg, eggs without the fat. without, And uh, you can buy them with chives and uh, cheese in them. So I have at least one meal of egg beaters a day, and sometimes I have two, and I'll have one with the way they have it with chives and the stuff in it, and then the other one I will have with uh, cottage cheese, like one or two uh, tablespoonfuls of cottage cheese and some uh, like sugar, sugarless peach jelly. I like that. Or you can have any, any flavor jelly. And, you know, they do taste different that way. And uh, I don't think you can get a better supply of protein with less calories, if that's what you're looking for, really. And it tastes good, and it's very easy to make, and it's very quick. Thank you. Hi, I'm Sandy, compulsive overeater. Okay. Hi. Um, I'm, I'm a newcomer to OA, actually. I uh, have been in program for a year. Um, I've lost 85 pounds. Um, I had six months of abstinence at Christmas, and the day after my children went home, I went around the house cleaning up, and just as quick as could be, grabbed those chocolate cookies, shoved them in my mouth, never took a second to... Uh, even think of my higher power or anything other than those cookies. And then I was devastated, just devastated. And I noticed immediately the reaction my body, but more my brain, was having to the sugar and the chocolate. And my brain, it's like those little metal balls just going. 
And so I was trying to connect with my higher power, and that for me is prayer. And I just kept saying God, God, but there was no connection. I just felt like I was saying it out loud, and it was bouncing off the walls. Um, I was lying down because I, that's my safety place to go. And um, I, I was too embarrassed to call my sponsor yet. Um, I, I was still in the shock of what I had done. I, in fact, I was too embarrassed for my husband to know. I was too embarrassed for anybody to know. Um, and so finally I thought, you know, pull yourself out of bed. I got down on my knees. I put my hands up. I had to be in the full position. God, I am here. I am weak. I do not have control over my life. And I obviously don't have control over my food. And I need you here and now to pick me up. That was big for me. I'm not the kind of person who puts my hands over my head. I'm not the kind of person who gets on my knees. I say my prayers kind of slumped up against my pillows at night. Um, and sometimes I'm focused, and sometimes I'm thinking about other things while I'm saying my prayers. I needed to get in there face-to-face with my higher power and say, I mean this. Well, this week, I met my six months again. I am so grateful. I also went through this, um, well, was that a slip? Or did I break my abstinence? Unfortunately, my sponsor said, you know, Sandy, that's between you and your higher power. No, I broke my abstinence. Now today, my six months of abstinence is really important to me because it's real abstinence. I didn't slip. So I, I just want to give a pitch for um, just getting somewhere alone and saying out loud to your higher power, even at the top of your lungs if you have to, here I am, you've got to hear me and meaning it from the soles of your feet, because uh, that's what it took for mine to hear me. Thanks. Okay, it's now time to close. Um, I want to thank the speakers, Anita, Jerry, and Gail, and as we told you, feel free to talk to them after uh, this meeting or anytime you see them at the, at the convention. Uh, I want to thank everybody who shared, and I especially want to thank our timers. And those who care, would you please join with me and uh, hold hands? And we're going to close with I put my hand in yours.